Yahoo announced a security breach affecting upwards of 1 billion user accounts. Cyber attack leaves 145 million eBay users at risk. Target announced up to 110 million customers may have had their identity and financial information compromised. Cyber security breach at Equifax could affect 143 million American consumers. And now your host, Nexus IT Group. Welcome back to Hacked into the Minds of Cybersecurity Leaders, brought to you by Nexus IT Security Group. This is your host, Ben Hotailing. Today we are joined by George Finney. George is the Chief Security Officer at Southern Methodist University in charge of information and physical security for the entire campus. He's been a professor and is the author of No More Magic Wands, Transformative Cybersecurity Change for Everyone. Welcome on. Well, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be with you this morning. Great. Well, let's uh, let's learn a little bit more about your story. How'd you get into cybersecurity? It's kind of an unusual story. It's one that I, I hear more and more from a lot of leaders, but my background in my undergrad was not computer science. I was actually a liberal arts major, uh, studied a lot of philosophy, learned ancient Greek and have translated the Iliad and the Odyssey and uh, parts of the, the Bible. So I had, had a really diverse experience, but I think that's part of why I got into technology. I was with a couple of telecoms when I uh, first started my career, went to a couple of startups after that. I think part of being a, a lifelong learner or an academic, that, that draw to technology, it's just, you know, it's just another language to me. So I, I find that it doesn't intimidate me and actually, you know, really get into going down some rabbit holes with, when I started out, I was a network engineer and learning about packets and figuring out how to, to, to make things work. And it took a while to, to get my start, uh, you know, figuring out, uh, you know, certifications and, and going down the right path. But one of the, the, the amazing things for me, I think when I really first started calling myself a security person or thinking of myself that way was when I came to SMU and instead of just doing networking the way that we've always done it, we were implementing this early open source uh, NAP tool that uh, required us to break the network. You had to have enough knowledge of networking to know about ARP poisoning and, and to, uh, to, to stop things from working. And I think that's really, you know, although I'd been doing firewalls and uh, hardening operating systems before, r really thinking about things like a hacker and, you know, breaking networks to, in order to secure them, I just found fascinating. And I, I think it's, it's been a, a love affair ever since. You have a great book, No More Magic Wands. You know, tell us about that. Well, thank you. First of all, I, I appreciate the, uh, uh, the the compliment. So I got the idea. I actually taught a, an, an intro to cybersecurity class for undergrads here at SMU a couple of years ago. It was an incredible experience. But I had to start taking all of the security topics that I'd learned over the last 15 years and breaking them down again and looking at them with new eyes. As I did that, I realized I kind of didn't like the way that a lot of books break down how, for example, encryption works. I, I think we take a very highly technical uh, perspective on uh, the, the way technology works. At the same time, SMU had hired an executive coach for me to work through several projects, and I started rereading. You know, I've read Seven Habits for I read no, Who Moved My Cheese, those kinds of things. But to get reimmersed at the same time made me realize that 
while we really are focusing on building the number of cybersecurity professionals in, in the world, we really aren't doing much to help educate everyone else. And I think that audience is, is certainly missing a piece. And if you're a, you know, a salesperson or if you're an executive or a manager, generally you have a professional development path. And those kinds of paths generally lead you down to reading certain books like The One Minute Manager or Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And I wanted there to be something for everyone else that was uh, not technical. There, there was no compliance or fear aspect to it. So I, I wrote this book. It's, it's kind of like a, a collection of fairy tales, if you will, um, that make, I think, cybersecurity both approachable and using the enchanted forest creatures as a case study, if you will, it, I think it appeals to more of a business mindset and it, it helps people get a context around how you can bring security into your company, not just buying firewalls or adding technology, but to, to think about how to have conversations or how to build relationships and trust. And I think all of those things are incredibly important to really doing security right in an organization. Yeah, totally agree. Really do appreciate that approach from uh, you know, someone coming from more of that business mind than uh, the technical mind. It does seem daunting. So what are you working on these days? I am working on a new book. Um, I, I've, I'm actually in the middle of a couple of different projects, but you know, if, if the first book, I, I, I like to think of it as a cybersecurity version of Who Moved My Cheese, very story-driven there's a you know happy ending uh, at the end, give, giving away a, a spoiler a little bit. The, the next book, I think, is going to be a lot like The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. I'm calling it The Nine Cybersecurity Habits. But ultimately, I, I, as, as I've thought about how to train employees or how to get people to, to, to do security differently, I, I, I've kind of realized that security isn't a competency. We, we treat it like it's a competency, but it's really a behavior. So when you give your employees cybersecurity awareness training, what you're really doing is just providing them with a baseline of information. And when you go and talk to them afterwards, they may know the right answers, like they're supposed to have antivirus, but they, they will continue to have bad behaviors. They uh, can recognize the uh, red flags in a phishing message, but they don't act on them. They don't call them out when, when they actually see them in real life. So as a behavior, I think behaviors are governed by habit and how do you get people to, to change their habits is, is a really interesting paradigm so the the concept for the the, the book started to, to bubble up i looked at a couple of hundred of the different tips that we give to employees that, that they should follow like don't write your password down or you know you should google yourself to see if your um, private information has been posted online what i found was all of those different types of tips it's kind of like if, if you're if you're a golfer, you, you play golf, you get all kinds of tips about how you're supposed to stand or your stroke or um, bending your knees. It's hard to keep in your head all at once. But as I broke those you know different cybersecurity tips down, it really seemed like they fell all into uh, a number of different categories. And I think those nine different categories are governed like specific habits. So kind of exploring that more fully incorporating some of those techniques into my security training to see if, as I'm uh, training people, how I can interact with them differently to, to actually change their bad behaviors or reinforce their good behaviors through incentives or other, other types of motivational aspects. Yeah, that sounds great. So one thing that we talked about 
quite a bit in the last couple of podcasts is the the security mindset. You touched on it a little bit there. Do you think that that's something that can you know honestly be learned, or is that something that's just innate in, in a person? I think that's a really fascinating question. I'm actually reading a book on introversion right now, and this is one of the most fascinating things to me to, to ask: is would an introvert be more cyber secure than an extrovert? Hopefully, um, I'll be able to do some research and, and find out a definitive answer to that. But th- there are lots of things that I think people take for granted in security. And, you know, there are lots of things that people do really well at security. But just like introversion and extroversion, people may fall somewhere on that spectrum. But they can also learn different behaviors. So I, I don't think it's as simple as saying whether it's, uh, you know, an innate quality or, or not. I don't, I don't think that it is. I think it's very... Uh, heavily influenced by the individual, what they've been exposed to, the culture of the organization. We talk a lot about culture of, you know, our companies. Chief security officers aren't chief culture officers, and I don't know that we have the, the authority even to to change the culture of a of an organization. But talking about what culture really means is, I think, something that that we can at least start the conversation. So one thing, you know, again, recognizing red flags and phishing messages, we. You know, we get really upset. I talk to a lot of people that say, well, how do you, you know, reduce the number of click-throughs on phishing messages? And people have simulated phishing programs, and we've been pretty successful. You know, I think people get it down from anywhere from 50% to something like 2 3 4 5% on average. And I think that's really, it's not hard to do, but, you know, people get really upset about the, the, the repeat offenders. And how do you handle... Uh, repeat offenders is a fascinating thing to to think about, but you know I, I don't know that that's uh, the the end of the story. So you know what's the reason why an individual is continuing to click on phishing messages after they've gotten training? Are they under pressure to respond to emails so quickly that they don't have time to process those red flags? I, I think some corporate cultures expect you to you know re- respond to emails within you know, seconds or even you know minutes. Whereas in other organizations, it's uh, it's acceptable to respond to an email after four or five hours, maybe a day. Um, I think it's still you know professional to respond within 24 hours, but that window allows people to process more. And I think that's that's an example of something that, that's driven by culture and people adapt to to the environment they're in. If you've got a I don't want to say abusive boss, but if you've got a a boss that you know requires you to make an exception of all of the rules that you put in place just for him. Uh, maybe he doesn't want to change his password, or maybe he wants to force you to share your password so he can get access to different network resources that you have. That's, a, that's an example where you know, it doesn't matter what the individual may be like. It's really they've got to adapt um, in order to, to be successful in the, in the environment that, that they're in. Mm-hmm. Well, before we dive too much deeper into the academic side, I'm really curious about your role. Two-part question. What is your role like being at a, a university, having the opportunity to actually do some personal learning as well as you know, have actual responsibilities? And what attracted to you to that type of role? You know, I, I love my job. It's it's really become a lot of fun. So I do both physical security as well as cybersecurity for our campus. I took on physical security a couple of years ago and Physical, you know, keeps me engaged in a way that I, I didn't expect. Protecting life safety for a campus of 1,100 people is incredibly humbling, especially in an age of college shootings. And I think that keeps 
you know, the, the problem of breaches in, in perspective, right? There are more important things. Obviously, we, we want to protect information and we want to protect our research and the, the privacy of our students, as well as the privacy of our, our, our faculty and staff. But protecting their lives is of ultimate importance to us. So, you know, I, I think it's incredibly humbling to be here. The exciting part about working in higher education as opposed to other fields is I don't have a non-compete clause that I, that I have to, to worry about. Um, so I can go consult on the side of, if that's my bent. I know a lot of other CISOs that, that do that. I you know, can write books and my intellectual property is still mine. I don't have to sign away those rights to, to an employer through a, uh, an IP agreement. So you know, it, it's, it's such an exciting, interesting environment. And I think it's a really rewarding environment to be in as well. Um, you get to see um, the students on campus every day. You know, you potentially get to, to take classes or teach classes. Again, it's just an incredibly rewarding place to be. And I've been very fortunate to have some, some really supportive bosses that have let me find my own way. And, the you know, the other part about higher ed that, that I think differentiates us from other industries is I feel like I can experiment more. Higher ed has been kind of criticized as, as being a soft target for hackers. And I think that's you know probably pretty accurate. But at the same time, we have the ability to experiment more and to try different things or maybe be on the bleeding edge of technology a little more than, than what our corporate counterparts can really get away with. So I think there's trade-offs, but it's been a really awesome place to be. Mm -hmm. Have you ever identified talent either in that professor seat or uh, from a student that was referred to you through other professors? Um, definitely. You know, when I taught the class, I, you know, you, you see such standout uh, students. We've got a definitely we found some, some great people. I get hit up by my peer CISOs all the time about, hey, can you know, do you have a student you can recommend for an internship or, hey, I'm hiring for for 20 positions and a knock. Can you, you know, send me some resumes? And I, I think we've been incredibly successful at, at placing um, great employees. When, when I taught the, the cybersecurity class, I it was a you know September, and I asked, "Hey, so just let me know if you guys want to want to get an internship." And they were like, "Yeah, that's cool. We've all already got internships for next <laughs> summer, and you know potentially after that." So, uh, you know, the cybersecurity market is so hot; students aren't having trouble finding jobs. We're also very fortunate. SMU's cybersecurity hacking club, if you will, uh, has uh, has participated and, and done really well in the CCTC competitions, collegiate cyber defense uh, competitions that uh, I think we, we took a, a, a trophy home um, in the last couple of years, and I think we're going to place really well again this year. But, you know, working with great people, I mean, you, it's just incredibly, gosh, it's, it's amazing when you, you meet uh, someone that's so smart that they, they can barely get the words out. It, it's like they're, they're, the mouth is the bottleneck, and you know you can just see the the, the passion and emotion wanting to come out. And, you know, to to see that in cybersecurity is is just a a really wonderful thing. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Now, what is one change that you'd like to see from an academic perspective in how uh, you know IT and, and cyber is taught? I'm very big on, as you you probably have guessed from my comments about my book. I'm really uh, big on thinking about the the business and we, we don't do a good job teaching cybersecurity in our business school and I think that is definitely going to be the future so long as we I think today we're extremely focused about meeting the demand of, of just 
cybersecurity professionals in the workplace over the next several years, where, you know, the, the deficit I think is going to be upwards of 3 million uh, jobs uh, over the next three or four years. I think that's the near term, though. Um, if we take a longer term view, uh, the people making the decisions uh, about what projects to, to run are going to be business people. They aren't necessarily going to be security people. They aren't necessarily going to be IT people. Security should be taught in, in the business school. I, I like to say in, in my environment, I've got a small team. I've got about six people to do both uh, physical security as well as cybersecurity. If I only had six employees, I wouldn't be successful at my job. And if I expand that out to, to our IT department, I think every IT person should be, in effect, a cybersecurity person. We're, we're a very decentralized shop. I rely on admins to apply patches or to make other technology decisions. But I, would, I wouldn't be successful at my job if I only had 106 employees. Um, really, what I need to be successful is to have 2,500 cybersecurity employees on my team. Everyone at the university needs to play a role in cybersecurity, and I need to do a good job deputizing them, if you will. I need to give them the tools and the information they need to make good cybersecurity decisions. And all of that happens through great security awareness training. It, it happens through partnerships, building relationships. And that's, I think, the missing piece in security. We, we're incredibly focused on building up cybersecurity professional talent or focusing on the technology. And what we're missing is that focus on the business. And I think we're, we're getting there. We're, the, the industry is definitely shifting, but I think it's going to be a, a, a longer term problem to solve. Mm -hmm. First off, I think that's fantastic. I, I totally agree with you 100%. I think it should be taught in, in more of a business setting. I think cybersecurity is one of the few technology-driven roles that really truly needs that business um, you know, background to be successful. But do you think that that would steer away individuals that are coming into college that are very technically minded and want to be in technology from going on and, and you know, joining the business school? On the flip side, do you think that more business individuals, business-minded people are going to want to dive into that technology side? I think we need both. We, we, we are at a point in the maturity of the cybersecurity profession that is requiring a lot of us to specialize in ways that we haven't had to do before. I came up through the networking field, and I think a lot of you know, my counterparts came through cybersecurity that way. So we understand a lot of networking concepts and things like the, the CISSP are very heavily tilted toward understanding networks. And I think that's, that's uh, important, but as we grow the field, we can't just be focused on one aspect of technology, right? We, we we do a bad job, I think, collectively about software development security. And I think improving that would be important. So there are a lot of, I, I think, very uh, focused technical aspects that people will be able to go into and maybe not touch the business at all and, and be great technology practitioners in software development, in security operations centers, threat hunting, you know, malware analysis uh, kind of roles. All, all those roles are going to continue to exist. I think there's a separate group in, in business schools that, you know, they typically have an IT management program. It's, it's really when, when you, you know, when you start to go into management or if, if you're just a business person and you need a, a background in, in IT or security just to be able to make decisions, that's where we can help augment the focus, right? So 
with Target, right, the, the CEO got fired. Equifax, you know, the CEO's got gotten fired. I think that's getting attention in a way to cybersecurity in a way that we've never gotten it before. And with businesses starting to take that seriously with your jobs being on the line effectively, boards of directors are, are, are wanting to know about cybersecurity. There's there's a liability that, that hasn't been there before that's going to create a demand in in business school and in, in the in law schools as well. There there are a lot of cybersecurity courses being taught in, in law schools and you know I know more Five years ago, there, there there just weren't that many CISOs that had uh, a JD uh, along with their title. And today, I've met ten times the, the number that I, I, I met just five years ago. I, I think in cybersecurity really isn't a technology problem. Um, there is there are technology solutions, but I think you know acknowledging that cybersecurity is a comprehensive business problem, we we need to incorporate it into all aspects of our business, whether it's management or strategic planning or what have you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as we get more and more digital, especially if you desire to be at that CEO level, it's such a critical piece. So definitely agree with you there. Now, when we previously spoke, you had mentioned a few very interesting academic thoughts around cybersecurity that you know, really piqued my interest. First one was how cyber fits into Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Can you explain that to us a little bit? Yeah, uh, thank you for for bringing that up. I'm incredibly interested and passionate about bringing not just a a technology perspective to security, but incorporating, you know, neuroscience or incorporating, you know, behavioral psychology into how we think about interacting with our employees or interacting with uh, our companies. Uh, So for those of you who aren't familiar with uh, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, a lot of people have heard of it, but they, the bottom tier is of Maslow's pyramid uh, are things like food, water, shelter. So the the, the saying goes, um, you know, if you're hungry, you're not going to be thinking about love. If you're drowning, you're not going to be thinking about how you're hungry. So there's a hierarchy of of needs. And and at the top of the pyramid is the highest aspects of what a person can achieve, whether that's self-fulfillment, whether that's living up to their potential and employing their gifts in, in, in a way that they are contributing to society, you know, it could be love. You don't get to the top of the pyramid unless you've got the bottom of the pyramid, food, water, shelter uh, taken care of. What we forget is the second tier of the pyramid. Another basic need is safety or security. Again, you don't get to the top of the pyramid in, in uh, your company. Your employees aren't going to be as effective if they're living in a culture that they're worried about. A breach uh, if, if they're living in an insecure culture. And I think that's that's just that's a fascinating way of, of thinking about security enabling the business because security creates uh, or, or facilitates productivity. It, it lets people feel like they're safe enough to be able to accomplish um, the things that they've been asked to, to accomplish. The other topic that really piqued my interest because I've not heard about it and can't even Google it was the Happy Gilmore effect. Can you explain that to us as well? I published a, a blog article a few months ago talking about it. So hopefully you can Google it now. If not, I need to work on my search engine optimization or keywords or whatever. <laughs> so you know, I, I came up with this concept a couple of years ago. In, in cybersecurity, we we talk about people, processes, and technology, and we need all in order to actually be secure. Uh, the Happy Gilmore problem that, that we're facing in cybersecurity is that we're trying, like Happy Gilmore, to hit a hole-in-one 
with every shot in technology. We're focusing so much on technology that, in fact, we're trying to get humans out of the, the loop. So, you know, we're, we're effectively, we're focusing on AI to, to do antivirus or firewalls or what have you. And so the flip side of that, I, I think the criticism is you can, you know, you can call that we're trying to make technology foolproof. And that's probably a fool's errand. Again, I, you know, I, I said this a little earlier, but security isn't a technology problem. If you look at the statistics, the Verizon data breach report um, over the last several years, human error accounts from anywhere between 80 to 95% of all data breaches. Yet we're spending 99% of all of our funding on technology. We, you know, we, we, we spend less than 1% of our security budgets on security awareness training. And I, th I think in fairness to the security industry, there just isn't that much security training that we can really do. You know, we've got videos, you've got uh, simulated phishing campaigns, but there's not much, that much else out there to help, again, change employees' behavior. And, I, you know, I think you know, we need to figure out how we can spend more time or more effort in focusing on the people and the processes instead of just the technology. One thought might be, well, let's, let's invest in security business analysts and have, you know, greater partnerships with individual business units rather than have full teams of, of people working on socks and really making IT our only customer. Uh, let's make the business our customer and collaborate with them and talk about how we can, you know, improve the business, improve business processes to have a benefit to them while improving security. So, yeah, that, that Happy Gilmore effect, you know, we're all technologists. I think we get swept away by, you know, the marketing hype sometimes. We, we think we can solve all our problems with uh, technology and you know, people aren't predictable. Um, so I, I think we gravitate more towards the things that we you know, have, you know, low-hanging fruit or, or easy success, successes. And that, I think, in the long term isn't going to pay off. Very interesting theory. Breaking it down that way makes it a ton of sense. Let's talk a little bit more about security awareness. Naturally, a big hurdle in today's ever-changing threat landscape. Do you have any thoughts on how we can educate end users and even the public you know, more successfully be any tried and true ways that you found to be successful? So I've got so many thoughts. Um, I, I could talk for the next four or five hours just you know, without taking a breath. The first thing I think that has to happen in order to be successful is you've got to make it personal. If you talk in the abstract about, you know, hey, you ought to write your password down or, or you know, no, don't use social media or whatever the, the advice we give, if it's just in a vacuum, people aren't going to pay attention. If you talk instead about, um, hey, what are your kids doing online? How are your kids securing their profiles? What, ex what information are they exposing? And then, oh, by the way, you can take a look at your profile, see if you can find, you know, secure yourself before you secure them, or flip it. Create a partnership, just like we're, I've been talking about creating a partnership with, with the business. Ask your employees to create a partnership with their kids and say, hey, son or daughter, uh, take a look at my profile and see what, what you can find. But, you know, they'll help you secure your profile and um, educate them, your, your kids in a way that um, they wouldn't have been able to, to do otherwise. So I think making it personal uh, is, is really the primary motivator, right? That gets people engaged, that gets them to attend your training. In security, 
for the most part, when I, when I talk to other CISOs, I've heard maybe less than 50%, you know, maybe less than even 30% have mandatory cybersecurity awareness training. And even the ones that do have mandatory training, they have a hard time getting, you know, getting people engaged. And, you know, pe- people are smart. They, they think it's a waste of time. They, they think of it this, the same way that they think of the sexual harassment training. They make fun of it. It's a waste, it's a waste of their time. And, you know, they, they figure out, okay, I, if I click this button and wait two seconds, I can just skip to the next slide. It's not successful. I would also say, tip number two, you can't, even if you have mandatory training, you can't expect people to change their behavior based on 20 minutes of training a year. So I think you need to have monthly or maybe even weekly ways of engaging employees, whether that's an email, whether that's a blog, whether that's a newsletter. You know, I, I think whatever works in your company's culture will help you get more engagement and uh, more people actually participating, even if even if your mandatory training is 100% participation rate, are they really listening? That's definitely a big challenge. And I think the, the final challenge, the final tip, we do a pretty terrible job uh, measuring whether our security training is effective. Let's parse that for a second. You know, there is, I don't think there's a way today to say whether, you know, training video A is the right training video for my company, for my culture. I don't have a way of saying, Training video A versus training video B changes my outcomes, um, and I think that's something that the security awareness industry definitely needs to take a take a look look at. So until then, the job is up to us CISOs to to figure that out and, and bridge the gap. So I talked earlier on about the the nine cybersecurity habits. I think that's one way of measuring in a more concrete way, right? It, you know, if you're just measuring, you know, before and after. That they know this information before the test. If they they didn't, then after the test, maybe they did. You're just teaching whether somebody can parrot an answer back to you. You haven't measured whether their behavior has changed. And I think that's that's the third tip: is figure out how you can measure changes in behavior. Yeah. So one thing that I'm curious about, and I think kind of leads to some of those behaviors that you mentioned, is a couple things. First, people. Like myself, I've, I've in the past felt this way. I'm smart enough. I would know if something was not right, if something didn't feel right or, or seem right. Yeah, I can identify that. And then on the other side, people that take the approach of, oh, that's not going to happen to me. You almost like getting sick, right? How can we close that gap? How can we educate and make them aware like, hey, look, this is really something that you need to pay attention to? Absolutely. That That, that is definitely, I've heard loud and clear for years that, People just don't believe it's going to happen to them. But I think that misses the mark just a little bit. I don't think that they necessarily think that um, it can't happen to them. I think the real world is just a lot more complex and gray than we think it is or that we give it credit for. You might see a red flag in an email, but you've got a lot of other things going on. You've, You've got to run to a meeting. Your phone is ringing. You've got a project deadline. So, okay, I, I saw those red flags, but it's not that I don't think it's that a phishing message can happen to me. It's that I've got other things to do that, you know, I don't necessarily think that that email is, is going to be the end all be all. So going back to, to my neuroscience theories, there's a, an evolutionary theory about the brain called the triune brain theory, which 
breaks out the brain into to three different parts, the neocortex, right? That's the frontal lobe, those, those, those kinds of things, uh, the frontal cortex that uh, produces rational thought. Uh, but then there's the limbic brain um, that has the amygdala and other structures that controls emotions and feeling. And there's the reptilian brain that governs fight or flight instincts. Also habits are governed in, in the reptilian brain. And there's a reason we've evolved to have those structures in the brain is because it's more efficient. So we make this assumption in, again, recognizing red flags or, or that it won't ever happen to me. Well, I think we are processing, you know, if you drove to work this morning, you, you probably don't remember your drive. That's because your brain was processing entirely in your reptilian brain and your neocortex was freed up to do other things like solve really important problems that you want uh, to solve for your business. And, you know, hackers are taking advantage of that. Social engineers are going to appeal to emotion and distract your, your brain by overwhelming it with a desire to look at kittens or babies or whatever, and to hopefully not get that problem up to the neocortex where the red flags can be found. But at the same time, we can't expect our employees to run every task through their neocortex. We have to find ways of, of triggering a, a response to hey, I need to stop, I need to slow down, I need to you know, let my brain process whatever it is that I'm seeing before I take an action. And I think that's, that's really the long-term solution to effective security behavior change. Well, let's get into underrated, overrated. overrated. Yeah. yeah, cool. First one, doing penetration tests for your physical security. Underrated. I think it's underrated in, in terms of what we do with the results of the, the, the pen test. I think we, we need to, uh, to take those, those results and, again, get it back in front of the business people and help it actually affect change, right? If, if it's shelfware, then, yeah, it's overrated. If, if it's fear that we're trying to create, it's overrated. We, we, we need to have better collaboration. Yeah, that definitely makes sense. So one thing I'm, I'm always curious about on these type of penetration tests, naturally you want something to come up so you get some sort of value, right? But does that also scare you on the other side if somebody is able to penetrate your, your physical barriers? You know, being in higher ed, we're, we're an open environment. You know, we're, we're open to the public physical barrier and, you know, preventing you from entering our campus in general. Gosh, my, my perspective, yeah, I, I fully expect you to be able to get in. I would appreciate it if, if you don't. Um, but, yeah, I, I think there's a tendency if you, you know, work in a fortress that your expectation is, you know, you're, you're impregnable. But if there's a, a woman, you know, who's wearing a fake pregnancy belly and she's got a box, every time people are going to hold the door open for her. Let's move on to the next one. Really curious about this, coming, especially coming from your background, not academically trained in, in technology and cybersecurity. So security certifications, underrated or overrated? Overrated. I'll share a quick story. I had required them for a long time. I've got plenty of certifications, but all self-taught. I, I realized that my main benefit as a university when I'm hiring employees is to give them uh, free tuition. So, you know, I said, you know what, I'm not going to require a degree. I'm not going to require certs. And a whole new world of applicants opened up to me. It was hit or miss. It was taking six months to hire someone. And then all of a sudden I dropped those requirements and I was getting mid-career people with 20 years experience that had really diverse, interesting backgrounds and 
I, I went from not being able to find a good candidate for six months to having 10 different like outstanding candidates for one position. So uh, yeah, I, I say they're entirely overrated. Mm -hmm. Last one, and then we'll let you go. I think I know the answer to this one. Having business skills in the chief security officer role. Underrated. But I, I would have a caveat to that. You know, a lot of CISOs are now going off and getting their MBAs and they're talking the, the talk, but that's not the end of the story. You know, that needs to be the beginning. Yeah. Do you yeah. think that they can go too far on the other side where it's just too business focused and not enough technical? You know, I, I, I think so. Again, I, I, you know, there, there's a lot of talk about whether the CISO should report to the CIO or should they report to someone else in your organization. You know, I, I don't want to get too hung up on fads shifting away from that. If, if being a part of IT is, is integral to your business and that's where the right fit is for your current level of maturity, then cool. I've heard some really great success stories where IT does security operations and has a focus on technology and maybe the security team only has one or two people. Maybe there's just a dotted line reporting relationship to the, the CISO for security operations or something like that. I think I think that's a, an actually good model. There, there's some good success stories, but it's not a, it's not going to be a great fit for everyone. I think you've got to understand your environment. You've got to know the personalities. You know, maybe it's a better fit for you to go to internal audit or to to general counsel uh, as as a reporting line, but it really depends on what, what your business is, what you're doing. Yeah, absolutely. Great thoughts there. Well, great. Hey, thanks so much, George. I, I appreciate it. Such good thoughts. Love the academic approach to it. We'll be on the lookout for your new book. Awesome. Yeah, I'm excited. We want to thank everyone for listening to today's podcast brought to you by Nexus IT Group. If you're looking for a new career challenge, let's chat. If you're looking to hire new talent, reach out. Or if you just want to talk about cybersecurity, email us at info at nexusitgroup.com. Until next time, stay safe and stay secure.